was once said that it's highly dangerous to receive the truths of the Bible with human wisdom. Don't miss that. There's a lot of good books out there. I get this. I love books. But if we're reading books and the scripture is not our filter first, here's what will happen. For this is a hidden and subtle method, which invariably causes a believer to perfect with his flesh the work of the Holy Spirit. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Take your Bible and turn to the New Testament book of James. I pray you have your notes there. Downloaded those, I pray, and I'm going to be in the book of James here as we journey through this great, great book. A great book in James here. And we are in chapter 1, looking at verses 5 through 8 today in this expositional study on the book of James. The sermon title today is a question in in the form of got wisdom, Uh, not got milk, but but got wisdom. Uh, What a great question that I have to ask myself and you do as well. Do you have wisdom? And then the question is this. Whose wisdom do we have? Do we have the world's wisdom? Do I have the wisdom of self? Or do we have the wisdom of God? Heavenly wisdom. James outlines this so beautifully today, and, and I pray we see it afresh and new. So here it is, James uh, chapter 1. Again, I pray you have a Bible open and uh, just a heart that's ready to receive, I pray. I pray even right now that the Lord would just speak in a mighty way into our lives. So here it is, James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, that is driven and tossed by the wind. Verse 7 goes deeper and it says this, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And then verse 8 just puts a a bow on it and explains everything. For he is a double-minded man, unstable, and not just some of his ways, but in all his ways. Now here James is, and again, coming out of the gate strong, Uh, You remember last week in in verse 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 that that James says, I'm James, this is who I am. And oh, by the way, here's the real important nugget, and this is whose I am. Uh, I'm a servant of Christ, of God Himself. I'm this willing slave that says, my life is no longer my own. I'm writing to those in the dispersion. and He comes out of that with just a, a beautiful, beautiful imperative saying to count it all joy. Uh, right out of that chute, that gate, he, he switches from who he is to whose he is to who he's writing to. And he says, look, i got to tell you something mission critical. Uh, there's just something important i got to share with you. That in the midst of your struggle, count it all joy. Uh, count it all joy. As hard as it is, as much as we don't want to do that in the midst of the pain of life, 
when the losses are piling up, that we are to count it, consider it, embrace it, that it's all joy. That God's working behind the scenes to produce, the text says there, that He's producing, working in us a steadfastness. Because our trials always, always reveal, always, our trials always reveal who or what our trust is in. Do I trust the Lord? Or do I trust in self or man? And he sets us up so beautifully because as he says those glorious words there in 1 through 4, he now says here in verse 5, as we're looking at our Bibles right now, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, does anyone need wisdom besides me? I need wisdom every day. I need the Lord to to give me insight, to show me His path and His plan and what He wants me to do. And I desperately need wisdom. And James says, look, I'm going to make this personal. And oh, by the way, when you look at all five chapters of James, you see how very personal he is. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, if you lack wisdom, if you are literally destitute of wisdom is what that means. If you're void of wisdom, if you are hungry and thirsty for wisdom, he says, if any of you lacks this wisdom, here's what you do. Let him ask God. Have you ever noticed, church, at least this is in my life, that when I am in a difficult situation, when I'm going through a struggle or a trial, it's absolutely amazing how much I'm crying out to the Lord for that wisdom. I wish if I was truthful before you that I could say that when things were going really, really well, that I still hungered as much for that same wisdom. That's an area of great improvement needed in my life. But I will attest to this, that when I am struggling, when I'm going through pain, when the hurt is there, it's amazing how God has my attention, how He has your attention. And it's amazing how we say, Lord, Lord, I need a word from you, and maybe even say that. Oftentimes people will ask, they'll say, how can I pray for you? Say, thank you for praying for me. And many times I will simply say that I'm praying for wisdom from the Lord. I just want to go His way. I want to follow Him and whatever He wants me to do with my life. James says, look, if this is you, if you're lacking this wisdom, here's what you need to do. Look at your Bible right there in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Do you see that? Do you see this? And by the way, this is not asking God for the removal of the trial necessarily, although that's always a prayer, but we want to pray to God, Lord God, give me wisdom in the midst of the trial. Sometimes He keeps us there, as we talked about last week, and He holds us there in the refiner's fire, and we don't always understand it, we don't like it, and sometimes it's lousy and it stinks, but so often God says, let me hold you here, you just cling to my wisdom. Just cling to my wisdom in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your pain. And here James says this, let him ask God, let him pray. Almost you could say, here's what James is saying, if any of you lacks wisdom, let us pray. Just let us pray. There is something about prayer. And again, prayer is not rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yea, God. Prayer is not us saying, God, hey, I want you to conform to my will. No, prayer is just the opposite, where we look at God and say like James did, hey, hey, I'm a bondservant of you. 
And through prayer, we say, God, here's not my wish list. Here's not my grocery list. Here's not a to-do list. No, God, here it is. You take my life. You use my life as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to you, which is the reasonable service. Oh, God, you take my mind. You renew it from the inside out that I might have wisdom from you, not the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world, as you know, is a hopeless cul-de-sac going nowhere. Hopeless, helpless, in circle after circle, if you lack it. But what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is just not knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing. We want knowledge, but a lot of fools have knowledge. A lot of foolish people have knowledge. No, wisdom is from on high. The wisdom of God is what James is talking about here, not the wisdom of men. If any of you lacks that, and maybe you're listening today, you're like, I need wisdom. I am hungry. I am thirsty. I want God to impart His wisdom to me. Here's a beautiful promise right here in verse 5 in your Bible. If any of you lacks this wisdom, let him ask God. Let him pray who gives generously. It means this lavishly. Like the Lord just says here, if you're going to come to me and you want wisdom, I'm just not going to trickle this out with a squirt gun. I'm going to just dump out the bucket. I'm going to lavish you. I'm going to openly and freely say, here's the wisdom you need for that decision, what you're going to do next, where you're going to go, where you're going to move, who you're going to marry, what the trial you may be in. And maybe, again, your back is against the wall and you just don't know what to do next. You're going through a difficult marital situation, a financial collapse. You just don't know what to do next. Here's the promise from God's Word. Cling to Him. Like He'll show you. And His time, it's never early, it's never late, it's always right on time. He will show you clearly what His path is for your life. But you got to ask Him. And there's no coincidence in my mind that we see James, who out of the gate said, look, my life's not mine, it's His. And so when I ask, I don't ask from selfish motive, I ask from godly motive. This is so important when you think about this, because as you really unpack this, Thomas Watson, a great, great dead dude that I love to read, said it like this, prayer is the spiritual leech which sucks the poison of sin out of the soul. Let me read that again. Thomas Watson, prayer is the spiritual leech which sucks the poison of sin out of the soul. I love when we go to the Lord here in this verse, church, because here's what happens as we go to Him in boldness. And by the way, do you understand this? Don't miss this point. When Jesus Christ, when He died on that cross, when He hung on that cross, when He said, it is finished, that veil was torn. That veil was ripped. That veil literally was shredded in half. That veil was not partially torn. No, it got completely decimated. And as the veil was torn, we now have a straight shot to the Father. We don't go through a human priest. We now go through our great high priest, and his name is Jesus. Direct access, 24-7, 365. No dial tones, no hang-ups. Just in his presence, in his presence abiding all the day long. We pray, we seek him. He gives generously without reproach. Don't miss that. Here's what this means. Literally without taunting. Aren't you glad God doesn't taunt us? I know in my case, he could do a lot of taunting if he wanted to. Oh, it's you again, John. You clown. What's wrong with you? Aren't you getting this? 
You constantly need wisdom. That's not the Lord. That's not the Lord. That's what we do to one another often, don't we? That's not the Lord, though. The Lord says, look, if you're going to come to me and boldly, and you're in that trial, you're in that tribulation, you need wisdom from me, the Lord goes, without any reproach, without any chiding, I'm just going to lavish this on you. No matter what you're going through today, as you approach him boldly, he's going to lavish his wisdom upon you. So here's key number one. I want you to write this down in your notes. Key number one. Here it is. Key number one. My trials reveal my inadequacy and my desperate need for wisdom from God. My trials reveal my inadequacy and my desperate need for wisdom from God. See, trials are the great exposure, aren't they? It's easy to praise the Lord when things are going great. But man, when things are not going well, again, when everything is struggling, when you seem like everywhere you turn, you ever been there? I know I've been there. It's like everywhere you turn, it's like life's unraveling. And you're like, Lord, what are you doing? Like, God, what are you up to? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to refine in me? They reveal how much I desperately need the Lord. I am hopeless and helpless without the Lord, period. And my trials reveal that even further. Notice the humility, by the way. We talked about in James 4, 6, and we'll study that uh, sometime in the future. James 4, 6, which says, God opposes the proud, the prideful person. He opposes. He's literally, in the Greek, he's in direct opposition. Just picture that, church. He's in direct opposition to the one who says, I got this. The one who says, I'm self-sufficient. The one who says that I don't need you. He's in direct opposition, comma, but he gives grace, unmerited favor, charis, to who? The humble. The one who says, my trials, oh God, are revealing how inadequate I am. And I need you. I don't need you just every day. Not even every hour as we sing, God. I need you every moment by moment of every day. Oh, how I need thee. Every moment I need thee. They reveal through that humility. I was thinking through this, church, and the Lord just spoke something into my life, and it was a rebuke. I'll share it with you. Perhaps you're struggling as well. But this is what I heard from the Lord, not audibly, but just heard it in my spirit as I was praying and reading the Word. But I made a note. If I'm seeking to run my own life, I will run my own life into the ground. If I'm the one who's, I got this, God, and, and, and I don't need your wisdom, and I'm good, I'm cool, I'm only deceiving myself. But not only will I deceive myself, but now I'm deceiving self, and the ripple effect is going to be vast. Those rings, you just take that, that rock as a kid, and you throw it in the water, and it was always fun to see one ring, and two, and, and three, and four, and five, and, and the rings got vast, didn't they? They got vast. As I sin against the Lord, there's always consequences. And through pride, if I'm not careful, the ripple effect of who that damages will be far-reaching. See, it's so key we understand the humility and the inadequacy. Think about Paul for a moment. Write this down in the supporting verses there. Acts 22, verse 10. And I love this text. This is where he's recounting his conversion and defense there at Jerusalem. And in 22, 10 of Acts, This is what is said, and I said, Paul speaking, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise, get up, 
go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that you're appointed for you to do. I love what Paul narrowed it down to. It was one simple little question. What shall I do, Lord? What a great question for me, for you today. Don't overcomplicate this. As you're seeking the wisdom from the Lord, He's going to give it to you without reproach. He promises it right here. And just simply ask, God, what shall I do? What do you want me to do? Again, maybe you're looking for a new job to move somewhere. Maybe it's much deeper. Maybe you're in a severe trial and and people are coming against you perhaps. Maybe you're in a, a marital issue. Fill in the blank. Whatever is on your horizon, just simply go into the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, what shall I do? What do you want me to do, God? And then don't move until He shows you what He wants you to do. It was once said that it's highly dangerous to receive the truths of the Bible with human wisdom. Don't miss that. There's a lot of good books out there. I get this. I love books. But if we're reading books and the Scripture is not our filter first, here's what will happen. For this is a hidden and subtle method which invariably causes a believer to perfect with his flesh the work of the Holy Spirit. Wow, wow, wow. We don't want anything to do with that. We want Scripture as our filter in every instance. When God speaks, we obey, we listen. Where He doesn't speak, there is some liberty there. But we run everything through the truth, the bedrock of Scripture, everything. It's our filter and what we use. How about verse 6? Look in your Bible. James rolls into verse 6. It's almost like he's got a bullhorn, a megahorn going, listen up. Warning, warning. Here's what he says in verse 6. But let him, I love this, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. But there's a storm brewing, isn't there? And there's storms brewing in all of our lives. So for me and you, it's not an issue of if trials hit, but when. When they come into our life that we will be prepared to say, God, I'm going to seek you Uh, not only on the mountain, but I'm definitely going to seek you in the valley as well and vice versa. And here James is speaking so clearly when he says, but let him ask. And look at verse five, just go up in your Bible one verse. So here's the context. If any of you, personal, if any of you lacks destitute of wisdom, this wisdom from the Lord, let him pray. Let him ask God who gives generously. And then he says this, but, there's a but in there, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, like zero. When you look at the word no there, it means zero, not a nilch. There's not any wiggle room, none. Do not have any doubting to come boldly by faith. What's the word faith? Well, it's fidelity here. There's a trust. So picture this, church, as we paint that picture. So you're in the trial, you're in the struggle, you're being persecuted, whatever it is, fill in the blank you're dealing with today. If you lack wisdom, James is going, hey, if you lack wisdom, hey, over here, if you lack wisdom, here's what you're going to do, go pray. Run into that prayer closet, begin to ask the Lord, beseech Him, go King James if you need to, pound on the door of heaven, ask the Lord, and here's what's going to happen. He's going to lavishly, just openly, just dump the bucket of wisdom on you, comma, but we must not doubt. We must ask by faith without doubting. What does that mean? 
Well, we'll think about this. How about this illustration? In Ephesians, Paul there is writing about, in verse chapter 6, a 10 and following, he's referring to this spiritual war we're in. Like there's a spiritual war going on right now. It's real. And there's light and darkness. There's holiness and, and the devil himself. And there's a collision going on right now. Paul says here, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities. And what would happen? What would happen when Paul says, take up the shield of faith? What happens in your life and my life if every time we turn around, our shield of faith is laying on the ground? What would happen? Well, we've got to take it up to quench the fiery darts. There's effort involved there. There's intentionality to take up the shield of faith. So, so critical. Don't miss this. So many people that I encounter who profess the name of Christ, you can see it in their lives, their shield of faith is on the ground. They haven't taken it up. They're not standing behind the shield of faith. Do you see how important this is that we take up the shield of faith without doubting, without hesitating, without being divided over? Because the battle belongs to the Lord is what Scripture says. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Think about that imagery there that goes on in that same verse of the wind and the waves. Picture that for just a moment. You guys like to go to the beach? Any beachgoers out there? And the waves, don't they? They do this. Sometimes they get really big, don't they? Sometimes they get really big and those, those little things called white caps. You ever seen those? The white caps begin to fold over, don't they? And what happens if you are on a raft and you're out there in one of those waves and you leave your stuff right here on the beach and you say, hey, I'm going to leave it right here and you get on the raft. Oh, it's so glorious. Man, you're floating around like, oh, praise Jesus. You're just floating around, right? Within moments, you look up. Within moments, you look up and you go, wait a minute, where am I? You know you left your stuff right there. But in just a few moments, because of the waves, how they blow and toss to and fro, we know our belongings were there, but we're no longer there. We're way over here. That's what happens, the visual of the person who, who doubts. All their stuff was right there, but now they're blown. They're wobbly. They're just floating. They're wavering. They're unstable. They're meandering. That's the visual that James is painting here. For those who doubt, here is a verse 6. They're like a wave of the sea that is driven, don't miss that, and tossed. So, so not just floating around, but now let's talk about the big storm and, and literally the big storm out in the ocean as those squalls come in and the wind is howling. There is a, a drivenness going on there, being tossed. So you're being tossed to and fro. And that's what happens when you and I are doubting and unstable towards the Lord. We're just floating and being tossed to and fro. One commentator said it like this. I love this. Listen closely. A wave of the sea is without rest, and so is the doubter. A wave of the sea is unstable, and so is the doubter. 
A wave of the sea is driven by the winds, and so is the doubter. A wave of the sea is capable of great destruction. Don't miss this, church. And so is the doubter. That's why key number two in your notes, write it down. So important. Here's key number two. When I ask God for wisdom, I must believe that He will provide. Let me say that again. Key number two. When I ask God for wisdom, I must believe that He will provide. Uh, This word believe, again, is always in this active sense. It's not passive. There's action going on here. It's just not intellectual. Uh, We can find so many people across our country today that say, yeah, I believe in God. Okay, you believe in God, but, but does God own you? Have you given your life to Him? That's a whole different question. We must believe. There's action there. When we waver towards God, we are in essence telling God that we don't trust Him. When you're in the struggle, when I'm in the struggle, and I'm guilty of this, when I'm in the struggle and I'm doubting God, and I say, God, I just don't know, that's exactly what I'm telling Him. I'm literally saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. And I must repent from that. Because faithless prayer, faithless prayer is just simply that. It's faithless. It's powerless. Think about Daniel. Write this down as a supporting text. Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 18. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. And one of my favorite accounts in all of Scripture, when you talk about unwavering faith and belief, well, these guys had some funny names, but man, they were amazing. Daniel 3, 16 through 18 says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, what kind of mom did they have, answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, what kind of mom did he have? We have no need to answer you in this matter. I just, I pause there every time I go, man, these guys were bold. When they're in the presence of the king going, uh, we have no answer for you in this matter. We have no need to even say anything to you. Why? Look at verse 17. Well, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. You know the story. Bow down, bow down. No, we're not bowing down to any idol you make. You're going to go in the furnace. It's going to get really hot and toasty. And they're saying, nah, we don't care. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And then 18 just puts a big, big red bow on it. But if not, O king, let it be known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Do you see the passion? Do you see the boldness? Do you see the faith, church? Then the midst of losing their lives are saying, look, here's the deal. We're not going your way. I don't care what you do to us. Turn up the heat. Turn up the furnace. We don't care. We're following the Lord. We know He's able. We believe He's able. And you know the rest of that story. In the midst of the furnace, God came through. Does it always mean that God will always come through in your trial? No. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity gospel we're talking about. But I know this. Listen closely. I know this without any shadow of a doubt. I know this. I will stand on this for the rest of my life. I know this, that whatever God chooses to do, He's able to do. And I know this even further, that God can do anything. There is nothing too difficult for my God. That gives us confidence. That gives us hope. That's why verse 7 rolls into, and this is James is just, he's going to ratchet this thing down even more. Look at this. He's going to, I mean, you read it and you go, man, this, he's tightening the screws. Look at verse 7. James ratchets down. Here he goes. 
Warning, warning, for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. That word suppose there talks about imagining, expecting. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord when he wavers and doubts. There's a hint of disgust here. Don't miss that part on verse 7. See, faith is the key, church. Faith is the key that unlocks the wisdom treasure. Faith is the key. And here there's, there's disgust by James saying, look, you've got to know this. This person should not suppose that they will receive anything from the Lord. That's why key number three is so important. And it's a simple one, but one you know, and one that's so true to forget, though, and easy to forget. Key number three, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Write that down. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's go to Scripture, our filter, our truth, our foundation, our benchmark. Hebrews eleven six. write that down. Hebrews eleven six. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe, action, that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Do you see that? There's something that happens with the active faith that again is not passive, just not intellectual, but the heart has been gripped. The heart has been rocked. The heart has been ripped wide open. And we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, look, I realize who I am. I'm a prideful person. I need the humility and the love of you in my life. God, don't give me bypass surgery. God, give me a heart transplant. Just give me a new heart. Give me a heart of flesh. No longer a heart of stone. Imagine what would happen in all of our lives as we cry out to the Lord and say, God, give us that belief that is hanging on to you. Or that's hanging on to you. Like, like it's hanging on to you, Lord. That if you don't come through, if you don't come through, God, it's just not going to happen. Well, it's the faith and the prayer that will, that will move mountains, I believe. Without faith, key three again, it's impossible to please God. It will never happen. Fool's errand, chasing the wind, just chasing the wind. And I got a little faith here, just chasing the wind. I'll never be able to please him unless that faith is what it should be in him. And here's the beauty of the mystery. Here's the mystery. He gives us the faith, doesn't he? Like he gives us the faith. We love him because he first loved us as He draws and stirs and woos and removes the blinders and the scales from, from the heart and the soul and mind, and they begin to fall. They fall like on Paul. They fall. The scales fall. And we see clearly. And He sets the captives free. That's what Jesus does. He sets the captives free. That's how great our God is. Well, how about lastly, verse 8? Here it is. So, so James, James is, he's been doubling down. And so here he goes. One last double down, verse 8. Here's the description of the one who doubts, the doubting man, the doubting woman. He is a double-minded man, unstable in how many of his ways? All of his ways. See, this shows the character, the, the revealed character. That's something about character that I think we often don't realize. We can try to cover up and conceal, and, and we can flatter here and flatter there, and Bottom line is this, we can only keep up the charade for so long. At some point, as the Word says, what was hidden will be exposed. What has been concealed will be revealed. And the truth comes out, doesn't it? 
here in verse 8, he's a double-minded man. What does that mean? Well, in the Greek, it, it means this. It's, it's a word that says you have two souls. Literally two. Two souls. There's a divided interest. There's divided allegiance. Hanging on to God. Hanging on to self. Hanging on to God. Hanging on to the world. You go one way or the other, don't you? Sooner or later, you got to let go of one or the other. James says you're double-minded. I'm double-minded if I walk in this. I'm going to be storm-tossed because I'm going to be unstable. What does that mean? It means wobbly. Something that's unstable is wobbly, isn't it? You build a platform, and peripherally, you're not building a foundation of a house on this. If you are, don't, don't invite me to lunch. But you know, if your house is wobbly, that's not a good thing. You want a sure foundation. You want it to be so well planned out and thought out that, that it's sure. A mighty fortress is our God, is our battle hymn. That, that it'll be an anthem that will say that, that we rest in Him and our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. And as we cling to the old rugged cross, that, that we know very clearly that, that even if none go with us, we're still following Jesus. And that's not a man who's doubting or wavering. That's a man who's resting. Just resting in the risen Savior. Saying, I know you got this. Unstable, confused, wobbly, unreliable, without a foundation, storm-tossed. So what's key number four, our last key? Well, here it is, key number four. Write it down. A divided trust in the Lord reveals a life that is also divided. Let me say that again. Key number four, a divided trust in the Lord reveals a life that is also divided. We could say it like this, a double-minded trust in the Lord reveals a life that is also double-minded. Think about this, and maybe you struggle with this, but if we're indecisive on decisions, should we go get a chocolate chip cookie or not? All God's true people say would say Amen. But maybe you waver on that and you go, oh, I don't know, I don't want to go, let's go, you know, back and forth. That, that's the visual here. Well, do we do? So we're trusting the Lord and we're going, I trust you. And then something happens within moments. And I don't know. And okay, I'm going to trust you today. But tomorrow happens. I don't know. And, do you see how unstable, how wobbly this is? It, it's divided. I'm going to trust you today, but I don't know about tomorrow. That's not how this works. We either are for him or against him. Think about that three-legged chair and Perhaps you have one in your home, and if you have four legs on a chair, two on this side and two on this side, and if you remove one of those from that corner, what happens? It's going to be very, very hard, very, very difficult to maintain your balance sitting in that chair. Uh, typically what happens, if you try that approach, you will come crashing down. And so many people in life are, are living a three-legged life, so to speak, in that chair. They're wondering, they're confused, they're wobbly, they're, they're well, what's going on here? Perhaps the reason is there's double-mindedness going on. Now, we love God one day, and the next day we're just not sure. No, our allegiance has to be to Him all the day long. Think about Mark, write this down, Mark 3.25, Mark 3.25. Jesus there is being referred to as Satan himself, and his own family thinks he's nuts and lost his mind. And, he makes this statement in Mark 3.25. He says this, and if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. He's talking about this, that if I'm Satan, Jesus is saying, 
how can I be going against Satan and that house is going to stand? He completely unpacks this and, and shows how ludicrous these religious leaders were of the day. Just makes them look foolish. But think about this in your life and my life. My home, my life, a business, a ball team, a church, any of those institutions that are against one another internally with this discord and disunity and undermining, not rowing in the same direction, but it's me and me and me, and I want this and I want that, and I'm not getting this, and I'm going to pitch a fit and take my marbles and go somewhere else, and all that's going to do is further discord as we work for the enemy if we're not careful. A house divided, a life divided, a life divided will reveal that I have a divided trust towards the Lord. Think about this last supporting verse. Write this down, Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24, and Jesus again, love this. No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to the one or despise the other. How about me and you today as we're going through the trials of life and they just happen. They come from all over and it doesn't have any sort of prerogative, if you will. I mean, the trials just come, don't they? And they come into our lives. And as they come into our lives, how do we react? Do we count it all joy? Do we say, Lord, I know you have a purpose and a plan for what's in my life today. I want to be taught by you. And as I give you the glory and for my good, here's what I want to happen, God. I want you in such a way. I want you in such a way, oh God, to show me that you're my only master. I don't serve anyone else because my trials are going to reveal who I really serve. That's why one man said it like this years ago, where fear is present, wisdom cannot be. Let me say that again. One man years ago said, where fear is present, wisdom cannot be. Should there be a fear of the Lord? Absolutely. We're talking about fear of man, fear of the circumstance of what might happen. If I'm living in fear, I'm not walking in godly wisdom as I'm counting it all joy. So here's the takeaway question. I want to write this down and be truthful, be honest. Here it is. Do I need God's wisdom in my life? Just ask yourself that question right now. Do I need it? So much, as I've dealt with men's ministry now for years, is getting men to realize and recognize where they need the Lord. Now, that's half the battle of men, probably more than half. Yeah, I got a problem. Okay, great. Let's repent and deal with it. So many times, though, hey, I'm good. I don't got any issue. Just deceit, deceit, deceit. Do you need God's wisdom? I'll be the first to admit, I need the Lord's wisdom. I need His wisdom desperately. I don't need it just every day or not every hour. I need it every single moment of every single day. I need the Lord's wisdom. Without it, I can't go. I can't move. i got to go in His direction because if left to my own devices, my own wicked devices, I will go off the rails every time. How about the action step, church? Here it is, our action step. I will daily confess my dire need for God's wisdom in my life and will request His wisdom through an unwavering faith. That's a long one. Let me say it again. Action step. Here it is. I will daily confess. We're saying the same thing. We're agreeing with God. My dire need for you, God, for your wisdom, not mine, but yours, God, in my life and will request his wisdom through an unwavering, undoubting, not double-minded faith. You know, as 
with clothes. I was thinking of when I was a boy. One of the temptations when you're a child, even a high schooler, is to take God and just kind of take and cherry pick. And I like this about the Lord, and eh, I like this, I don't like that. That doesn't fit my agenda or my plan, so I'm going to, I'll take this, but I don't want that. And it reminded me of that illustration years ago when my dad bought us that basketball hoop, and that was an awesome day. I can remember the day, I can picture it right now. He, he brought home this hoop, and it was one of the ones with the adjustable rim, and he used a broomstick, it was kind of weird, but we used a broomstick to adjust it. And what was so cool was that the regulation height is 10 feet, and well, I couldn't dunk a basketball at 10 feet, so we would lower it down. And it was awesome. Like, man, we thought we were Michael Jordan. That was back in Michael Jordan. And man, we were just awesome. We were there dunking. And man, we thought we were, yeah, we thought we were the sauce. You know what I mean? But then I came to the realization that I really wasn't dunking the ball because I had taken the standard and lowered it. You know, I wonder how many of us right now, perhaps, are taking God and trying to lower Him to our standard. And we think we're moving in the right direction. We think we're succeeding. We think we're going. But we're lowering Him. No, no, He doesn't want us to lower Him. He wants to reach down like only He can through His blood, His righteousness of His Son, and pull us up to His standard. How about you today? Are you struggling? Are you hurting? Have you given your life to the Lord truthfully? Can you truthfully say right now, I know if I died today, I've already given my life to Jesus. My life's no longer my own. Let's pray together now. Father, we come before you. Lord, we just lift up our, our lives to you. Just lift them up right now. Just a living sacrifice. We just speak in a powerful way, God. The key to all revival and awakening reformation is just a heart that is no longer its own. And we just give our lives away in that missionary sacrifice. Say, God, just use me. Don't need the applause. Don't need anything. Just want to be used for your glory. God, will you do that right now in this time? Word of God, would you speak? Holy Spirit, would you speak? If we lack wisdom, you're going to lavish it. You're going to dump it on us. But we must not waver. We must not doubt. We must believe by faith with action. Otherwise, we're like a wave tossed to and fro. No stability. A three-legged chair. One who's double-minded. Serving two masters, two souls. Don't allow us to have that in us today, but I pray right now, if, if that is us, that you would show us clearly and that we would turn and repent right now. Just turn and repent. Say, God, I've, I'm failing in this area. And I know how you lavish your wisdom. You also lavish your grace on the heart that's humble and contrite. On this one I will look. He who fears me and trembles at my word, and is humble in spirit. God, in this time it's yours. Speak like you've never spoken before. Do the work, O oh God, that only you can do right now. And we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.